This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our topic of this week has been the topic of the last month. It's running Arizona's election. We have our guest with us, Stephen Richer, uh, the Maricopa County recorder, Adrian Fontes, the recent Maricopa County reporter and currently Secretary of State-elect. Bill Gates would have been the ultimate trifecta here was invited, but uh, as my understanding is taking a very much deserved vacation. He is chair of the County Board of Supervisors. I want to start out by uh, welcoming you guys and asking you, uh, I'll start with you, Adrian. Uh, distinguish, if you would, from us, what is the responsibility of the Secretary of State versus the county, and then I'll go to Stephen and ask you to dissect within the county there's a division of responsibility so, for running elections. Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having uh, me, and, and I'm sure Stephen is equally grateful. We're, we're, what we have here is a sort of a separation of roles between the secretary and the 15 counties uh, as political entities. The secretary of state is, generally speaking, you could say more like a regulator. Uh, the secretary promulgates the elections procedures manual, which is the rule book that the counties use. The secretary will certify not just the election officials in each of the 15 counties, but will also certify the equipment. So really kind of an arm's distance away from the ballots and the ballot procedures while still maintaining sort of chief election officer status, if you will. So setting up systems ahead of time. Certainly, and not just setting up systems ahead of time, but doing the follow through as necessary and certifying on the backside, right? So that's sort of the role of the secretary and, and the counties uh, in the joint role between the uh, county recorders, the county boards of supervisors, and the appointed election directors. They're the ones who actually do the election work. They're the ones who actually uh, run the polling places, recruit and train the poll workers. They're the ones that take care of all the stuff of elections. And clarify, a secretary of state doesn't ever touch a ballot. Uh, except for their own ballot when they're voting. Uh, yes, that's that's correct. All of the ballot balloting procedures. In fact, a lot of the candidate qualification stuff, uh, a lot of the petition signature verification, ballot signature verification, all of that stuff happens down at the county level, uh, which is appropriate because uh, Stephen, for example, here is the registrar of voters for Maricopa County. So all voter registration stuff goes through his office as well, while... The statewide voter registration list under the Help America Vote Act is maintained at the secretary's office. So there's definitely an integration of roles and a cooperation, but there is definitely a distinction but as well. You as secretary of state will not create that registration database, right? You will you get that from the counties. The secretary of state in Arizona is a custodian of data mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else. The data mm -hmm. belongs to the counties. The secretary holds it all together under federal statute. And on election night, if I, if I would... Tell me if I have this right. I've often described the function as more that of a not. A, I'm setting aside the stuff done ahead to certify sure. uh, uh, machines and things like that. On election night, it's the role it seems to me more of a publisher. You're assimilating, is that a fair statement, assimilating information that comes from the counties? Yes, really kind of bringing all of the county's different mm -hmm. data together uh, and then posting it online, which is what a lot of people look at. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly 
that is one of the roles, but it's much narrower, although it's probably the most high-profile role that the Secretary's That's office... That's when people are visiting has. your website. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and, they should, and, they sh- and they should visit Probably Service about 99% Ar- of all the visits. <laughs> right. And you should visit ServiceArizona.com uh, occasionally to make sure that your voter registration is updated. In Maricopa County, you've got Maricopa.vote. Um, but uh, every one of the 15 counties yeah. works on that. But importantly, we're a bottom-up state. And not every state is like this. But voter registration is done at the county level. And then it is all pushed up to a statewide voter list that the Secretary of State's office does keep to be in compliance with federal law. But I also want to emphasize the Secretary of State's crucial role in translating state statute into, as Adrian mentioned, a roadmap for the counties to administer elections because by and large, elections are creatures of state law, less so federal law. Federal law plays an important role, but Really, the differences and the nuts and bolts are done on the state law level, and then it's this 100-page document that we call the Elections Procedures Manual that the Secretary of State is really responsible for that takes sometimes state law that doesn't fill in every single gap, doesn't ex- tease out every this single situation. This is why situation. we have administrative agencies. No, state, no, no law at any level is ever completely mm-hmm. explicit. And, 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 and I think that's important. It's important because technology changes, available materials change, uh, the way that folks get around and communicate changes. Uh, and so there has to be a little bit of flexibility while maintaining really the solid principles uh, and sort of the core statutory framework that we need to have so that we have consistency across the state. The Elections Procedures Manual fills in some of those gaps and allows for the kind of flexibility that some of the counties really need. Maricopa County, for example, has got about close to two-thirds of the state's voters, whereas Greenlee County has a much, much smaller footprint, uh, but they still got to run elections basically following the same statutes. So the Elections Procedures Manual attempts to negotiate sort of those differences and lay things out way ahead of time so that everybody knows what the rules of the game are. Counties have different equipment. Is that true? That is true. And that is also something that is not true of every single state. Some states are, again, top down where the Secretary of State will determine what equipment every single county is going to use. In Arizona, the counties make that determination on their own with the county recorder and the board of supervisors. And then it just has to pass certification by both federal authorities, the Elections Assistance Commission, and then locally here, the Secretary of State both has to certify uh, the type of equipment and then has to inspect and sign off on it before each federal election. Stephen, just to finish explicating whose job is what, uh, if you could uh, speak to at the county level, Your office does part of the process. The County Board of Supervisors is responsible. If you could lay out what's theirs and what's yours. And I don't know what the reason was for it originally, but this is a curious creature of Arizona state law under Title 16 that the election administration process is a bifurcated process. The county recorders, the 15 county recorders, are responsible for voter registration and for early voting. So all of those days prior to the election, so that includes in-person early voting, that includes dropping your mail ballot off in a drop box, and that includes, of course, mailing your ballot back through USPS. Does that include the folks who, I know that this is the people who pull your hair out over, the people who take an early ballot and drop it off on it, election day? Is that yours or is that theirs? It, 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 see, that's where the overlap is. That's ultimately my responsibility, but of course they're dropping it off at a voting location that is being manned and staffed by under the Board of Supervisors but, authority. So they came, but they came back to your office to be but counted? Because those, those are early 
early ballots, yeah. they have to go through that early ballot process. And this is something that, you know, I've been talking mm-hmm. about a lot because you still have to scan those in. You have to signature verify those. You have to send those to a bipartisan team before they can go back to the Board of Supervisors and getting to what the Board of Supervisors is statutorily responsible for is Election Day operations and tabulation. And so oh, so you certify them and send them back and so they count them. We, we get them already and we get them removed from their envelopes mm-hmm. once they have been determined to be a valid valid. These, this pile is okay. This goes back. And to it the, goes in mm-hmm. a batch of 200. And, uh, you know, every county is a little bit different. But then that transfer is made to the Board of Supervisors for tabulation. In Pima County, for example, they literally have operations in the exact same building. And they will pass the ballots unidirectionally through a hole in the wall. Is that right? There's yeah, an actual and then they hole have a the receipt wall. that comes back. Imagine this, if you will. Um, uh, you've got a fraternal organization, and you've got a secretary and a treasurer. The bill from the water company comes to the secretary. The secretary then sends a warrant to the treasurer. The treasurer writes a check and sends it back to the secretary. The secretary then sends it back out. So what you have is a check and a balance so that you can audit this thing later. The county recorder runs the voters, and therefore early voting... Um, but getting the ballots then to the board who's in charge of the ballots. So one side has ballots and candidates. The other side has voters. And if you look at those two big sort of cylinders of of participants in the system, uh, you can kind of glean out. Now, in practice, it looks a lot more tightly intertwined, right, because of our early voting system and a little bit of overlap to Election Day. But the county recorder effectively... In the old system, before a lot of early voting, would give the list of registered voters in that precinct to the election department, and the election department would then deploy that on election day to the precinct, and they would check off who the voters were to get those ballots Mm -hmm. back. Then that list of voters who voted would go back to the county recorder's office so they could say, you know, add to the voter roll who voted. So it's that sort of checks and warrants thing that we've seen in clubs. Yeah. I'm not sure that I agree with how it's set up now. I'm not sure that this is how I would do it if I had to go back and rewrite it. But I think that Adrian is absolutely right in that the, the idea was having two different political entities such that when, you know, maybe 200 ballots have been approved and are ready to go over to the Board of Supervisors for tabulation, well, then another political entity says, yes, this is 200 ballots again. And so mm-hmm. that there would be a almost this, a mutual check got, society. There's cameras everywhere on this, right? There's cameras everywhere I mean, on because this. Because, I, I mean, you know, the people who are claiming fraud, they're thinking like somebody somewhere is well, and, and more importantly than being able to go onto a website and watch all of this via live stream cameras is the fact that the people who are working this process have to be bipartisan and they are bipartisan. And then there's people round the clock that are observing. And I really want to tip my hat to both political parties in this recent election. They had observers even 20 days before Election Day, late at night, watching us do signature verification. And that's mind-numbingly boring, but the political parties really ponied up and got observers there. We'll we'll be back with Adrian Fontes and uh, Stephen Richer in just a moment, continuing the discussion about Arizona elections. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back here with uh, County Recorder Stephen Richer and uh, former County uh, Recorder and current uh, Secretary of State-elect Adrian Fontes. Uh, Stephen, want to ask you the question. We hear this all the time. People say, you know, and I think behind this is let's be sure we get it right. We should do a hand count of this, that, or maybe even everything. Yeah. 
I wonder if you'd respond to that. Well, no part of the election process is contingent upon just trust Adrian or trust me or trust Secretary Hobbs or trust any of the other county officials. It's checked and it's documented at every level. And one of the most important checks is Adrian mentioned that the equipment is tested before the election. But we also do post-election tests. And one of the most important one is that the political parties actually pony up um, members of their party to sit in bipartisan teams and hand count a statistically significant percentage of the ballots. And the purpose of that isn't just to, to count them all again or because hand counts are somehow better, but because in case something did happen that threw the tabulators out of whack. And so you would see that revealed in the statistically significant. And so we do that after every election. Uh, Adrian's team did this after the 2020 election. Uh, we've done that both after the August primary and the November general election. And to, to so the, and what kind of differences do you get and how many how how many is the statistically significant sample? About two percent is what it amounts to, and so for that's the, a lot of votes. That's so a for, lot of for Maricopa County, it's an enormous amount of votes. And in 2020, um, after we got the new tabulation system that that, that Stephen has also deployed, we hit a hundred percent, and that's because it's a very very good system uh, that does the tabulation on and the front side. And you got the exact same numbers. So, after the 2020 election, they hand-counted, audited 47,000-plus votes, and it matched 100%. It matched 100%. And, and, and really, and I think just to expand a little bit on this, um, what happens is the county party chairs, so the Democratic county party chair and the Republican party chair in each of the counties, they'll go and they will draw lots first to decide who goes first. Then they'll pick which office is going to be part of the hand count, and that's a random selection. Then they'll pick which precincts are going to be part of the hand count. That's a random selection as well. And then there's also a layer uh, involved where they will go through and they will randomly select, uh, while the tabulation is ongoing, different batches to be part of this mm -hmm. hand count audit as well. So you really have this amazing amount of randomization and then the election department will bring in, uh, or the parties will bring in a whole bunch of volunteers. And this is partisans. These are, these are members of the political parties. And the election department will give instructions and allow these folks sitting at their tables um, the opportunity to go through and hand count. And you've got a Republican and a Democrat, maybe two Democrats and a Republican or two Republicans and a Democrat. And they go through those ballots and they do the hand count themselves. It is not county officials. It is the partisans themselves mm -hmm. that do this hand count audit that is provided for in Arizona statute. It's happened across the state, across elections uh, for years and years and years and years. And that's one of the reasons why folks like us who understand these systems have such a high confidence in the way Arizona has been running elections for decades. I, it's interesting you hit it on the nose. I was going to say if you were off by like three votes or something, I'd believe the machine. That's my experience in dealing oh, with large well, quantities of data. That's been scientifically established yeah. that machines are better at routine, repetitive tasks than are as are humans. And I think of it back when you used to wrap coins. Mm -hmm. Remember, you, you couldn't. Oh yeah, you, know, you had to machine, count them. Yeah, and you had to <laughs> count them. Like try even counting up to forty quarters. Yeah. It was you know it, it was uh, it was challenging. But that's why they do it in bipartisan teams, and that's why it only serves in audit purposes. Because I'm a technology evangelist, but technology should be tested, and mm -hmm. this is one of the ways in which we test technology. Mm -hmm. There are also front end texts, like mm -hmm. Adrian mentioned, that the Secretary of State and the federal government employs. And the reason I, by the way, would never expect a hundred percent. That's astounding. Is Usually that that discrepancy 
is some really poorly done ballot where there's scratch marks across both candidates and and uh, I believe you use a uh, adjudication uh, so but it machine doesn't go machine go with a darker sensor whichever one is darker or something like that on it and that is where you'll often see a discrepancy is if um there is a ballot that is poorly marked that then gets sent to an adjudication mm-hmm. board of a Republican and Democrat, and they make a determination on that. Well, maybe a different board might make a different determination, but that's that's humans at work, basically, mm-hmm. in bipartisan teams more than machines. And that adjudication is no different conceptually than a jury of your peers determining guilt or innocence based on the facts Mm -hmm. in front of them. They get the facts in front of them. They get the image of that ballot, the way it was marked, and they determine as best as they can, um, you know, what the intent of the voter was. This is part of the faith that we should have, in my view, mm-hmm. of one another as Americans. These are bipartisan teams. Again, uh, they go through all of these checks and balances. Oftentimes, that portion of it gets gets looked at again. Um, and so we've got logs that show and folks can go back and look at some of these things. This is really part of the uh, integrity that these systems have and has been built into them over the years. Uh, I'm very, and, and, and I think it's worth saying, I'm very proud of the work uh, that continues to happen in my former office now that, you know, Stephen beat me in that 2020 election, fair and square. And that's why I conceded and said it's yours and now. It's obviously and, and he right. takes, As a guy was accused of cheating, he said, must have well, done a really poor well, job. Look, and, and Couldn't even win his own election. And, and, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> back in November of 2020, I probably wouldn't have said this, but this is not this is an earnest guy. And he may be a Republican, and we may think very differently in a lot of other issues, uh, but that office is still... Uh, staffed by amazing professionals, his leadership is really it's pushed mostly to the, the next same level. people, isn't it? Are you- well, it's uh, some same people, but the the systems and the tests again; these are enshrined in state law, and it's enshrined in the practices of all election mm-hmm. officials throughout the country that it's not just a matter of believe us, but look at the tests that we've run. We'll be back in just a moment after the break with uh, Stephen Ritzer and Adrian Fontes when we return in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with uh, Stephen Richer, Maricopa County Recorder and Secretary of State-elect Adrian Fontes talking about Arizona elections. You know, the airwaves have been filled, the Twitter sphere filled with all sorts of accusations of, oh, this or that was wrong and uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed a fellow in the station here, Barry Markson, has been vehement in addressing a lot. He has the same comment he makes to every single accusation. He says, great, show me the evidence, and I haven't seen one person do it yet. But still, suspicion abounds in a way that really didn't exist before 2020. I I look at this and I say the absurdity of – who has the incentive to cheat by a voter to when our elections are are always won by thousands of votes? Now we do have one race, five hundred and four, but it's not, but the we we did have one tie election. We had one election where a vote might have made it. about twenty years ago. If you remember, there was a state legislative race, and Jane Hull settled it with a poker hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you look at unless it's a candidate or something. Who on earth has the incentive to to risk a jail term for a vote or two? And I just I look at that and uh, 
I believe the uh, attorney general pursued every case he could find. I think he found 12 cases, and they were mostly – weren't they cases where people had voted in another state? I, I think uh, – and you'll forgive me – a little bit of a better framing of that would be who has the capacity because of the checks and balances <laughs> – Right. That was my next. That's where I was going next. Yeah. You know, if you understand, well, who has the incentive? Well, someone that doesn't believe in the oath of office they would have taken. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we've all got to take that oath of office. Someone someone who's willing to compromise their integrity, someone who doesn't have honor. That's the person with the incentive to cheat. But, but then even the, then, the, the capacity—how on earth right, could who you do it? The capacity, particularly again, given the checks and balances, given the number of people who are involved in these systems, and these are incredibly complex systems uh, with lots of layers of checks and balances throughout. And in other words, if somebody snuck into the county supervisor's office a box mm-hmm. of ballots yeah. and, and made up ballots. Then numbers wouldn't add up, well, right? right? And so that's one of the great fictions of the injecting 20,000 ballots into the system is we've talked about this already that it's the process starts with the county recorder's office and you can't have a vote associated with a non-registered voter. And so you would first have to create a false voter registration form before you can get to that feeding in a ballot form. And so if there wasn't a match there, that would be one of the ways it could be disproven. But, um, you know, the the instances of voter fraud that have been prosecuted have been one-off instances and something to the effect of, you know, uh, my mom passed away two days before the election, but the mail ballot was already, you know, in process. And so I got it and I know what mom's signature looks like. And so I filled that out. The cost-benefit analysis on that is terrible because, as you mentioned, the likelihood of impacting a statewide race is very, very low. Now, if mom mailed in her ballot and died two days later, that's still a legal That's ballot, a legal right? vote, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, if somehow mom died two days before and then the ballot got mailed in, then that would be something worth investigating. And the mm-hmm. attorney general has. But but Barry's right. Is there something at the margins? Mom, mom signs the ballot. She seals it sitting on the dresser. She dies. The son mails it in. I'd, Interesting legal yeah. question <laughs> and one that we've actually been asked to look at. You know... It's 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 it, that is a very interesting, but question. it's not going to turn elections. <laughs> well, that, again, it's not going to turn an election. And, and here's the thing: I think I think election officials across Arizona, when you have these 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 really tight questions, nine times out of ten, the good thing is they're going to verify as far as they can, and then err on the side of the voter. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because what we're talking about here is potentially denying someone their fundamental constitutional right on their deathbed mm-hmm. to what end? We're, you know, so uh, when it comes down to this, what we have to do is be reasonable and rational and understand the process before we start, you know, flying about with all of these crazy accusations that are that are quite frankly an impossibility. Just look at the question of, uh, again, just to kind of illustrate a little further Stephen's point, if you've got a precinct that has 1,200 voters in it, and a thousand of those voters cast a ballot, you're going to have a really, really tough time. Number one, injecting any ballots into that mix. Number two, making sure that every single one of those ballots for whatever format looks the same way, because there are tens of thousands of different ballot styles, for example, in Maricopa County, and you'd have to be so well abreast of all of that, it would have to be such a complex operation 
that it's almost impossible. We all get different ballots. We, we really do. You could live across the street f- from someone and be not only in a different city council district, but a different congressional district. You might have your next door neighbor or two doors down, be in a different school district. And each of us has different ballots. So the complexity of the system as it stands is one of the best insurance policies against the cheating that has been let, proposed. Let me ask you about the one thing that did come up, the issue at... Uh, uh, 30%, I think, of the precincts where the printers that were live printing, a voter comes in, and because, as you pointed out, they're all different, you're voting, you're getting your own personal one that's tailored to your geography, and it printed a little bit light, and that, that was printed so light that the uh, precinct-level tabulators couldn't count it. Correct. Correct? Um and by the way, and I looked at this, that it was basically a random microcosm of it was statistically indistinguishable bipartisanship from the within a mar- statistical margin of error was a. Yeah, the, the board that has looked at it and they've identified that it was a certain type of printer that was dispersed throughout the county wasn't you know dispersed. Oh, is it different? It was a single type of printer. Yeah, that, and so that, and that, they're going to produce a full report. Yeah. But no, it was it did not have a partisan skew or impact. But, when, the, when but, it, but it, the point is, even I'm saying there, that people still could cast their vote and put it in a lockbox. And I said. Isn't that the way 99% of all our elections have been run since we got technology? We cast a ballot and we threw it in a box, right? Well, so Adrian should speak to this because, you know, Pima County does not, and he spent some time down there as well, but Pima County does not tabulate on site. So actually all so they have ballots 100%. In, in yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, this is how American elections have been run since, since time immemorial. You put your, bo- your ballot in the ballot box. I mean, this is part of the storytelling. And of then America. it gets trucked downtown. And then either it gets trucked downtown to a tabulation center, or you know, in in the olden days when you only had forty or fifty people in the precinct, back in the old days, they would count it uh, on site if they didn't have mechanical tabulators. But here's the interesting piece about this particular instance. I think, and 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 with respect to the county, I think that what this incident shows is how difficult it would be to inject false or fraudulent ballots into the system. Here we have the county's own printers. It appears as though even their own printers had the tiniest of flaw in the ballot that they produced. And those tabulators are so specific and so specialized that they wouldn't tabulate their own mm-hmm. ballots because it was just the tiniest little flaw. Were you the, tell me you tell me that that is not an amazingly mm-hmm. accurate and very, very narrow set of ballots that could be accepted. Were, by the way, those are then trucked downtown. Are the, are the tabulators downtown in the central facility able to, they were able to read those Most ballots? Most of that, them, because they are a bit higher definition, but for mm-hmm. those that were not able to be read, they're actually duplicated onto a new ballot by a bipartisan team that just transposes it onto a ballot that can be read and then are fed through the tabulator mm-hmm. there. So yes, all of those are counted. No, Adrian actually made, I mean, that, not actually, but they made a good point that I hadn't thought of before, and I appreciate that. I'm The Board of Supervisors and I are very empathetic that that did not function the way it was designed for many voters, but it did not, um, the, the fail safe, the backup did function as it was intended to. And, you know, you, you mentioned Barry at the outset of this, and I really appreciate what Barry Markson has been saying as far as uh, we have another check and balance, and that is post-election litigation. And that's an important part of the process too. But in the legal context, you have to bring proof of claims 
and you have to argue those and you have to do it in a convincing manner. And it's so different from, you know, posting something on Twitter. And in the post-2020 election context, there was a truckload of, of litigation. And I believe firmly that we have a good judicial process. I believe in the rule of law. And that's an important component. But once it's done, it's done. And you had a lot of uh, lawyers in those cases who were on the courthouse step alleging fraud, went in front of the judge. The judge said, are you alleging fraud? Fraud and the and the answer was no, Your Honor, because they knew their law license was at stake. Well, and that that to me is one of the most disappointing aspects of this. Both Stephen and I are members of the bar, and I think that there's a lot of folks out there who are in that community who've taken great liberties with a system that that I believe in, Stephen believes in, and that is the idea that this profession needs to be needs to do what it can to maintain its integrity because the rule of law is a particularly important evolution in human history. We no longer survive on someone taking power either because of heredity or force of some form. The rule of law really manifests in in elections and, and doing it the way we do it now. We can certainly improve a lot of our systems, but this fundamental idea being corroded by certain members of the bar who are willing you know, to play this political game for political purposes, that is very disappointing. And and I, and I think the, there are certain courts out there who have uh, used Rule 11 <laughs> against some of these members of the bar to sanction them appropriately. They're, they're, Rule they're 11 is a, is a sanctioning... Sanction. So recently, in fact, just last week, a federal district court judge sanctioned the attorneys who filed the lawsuit that alleged a whole bunch of thing about tabulators and alleged that we didn't use paper ballots when we use 100% paper ballots in Arizona. And the judge said that this was irresponsible, both from an ethical standpoint and from a professionalism standpoint in terms of the amount of research that they put in. And this is exceptionally rare, as Adrian can attest, to be the subject of a Rule 11 sanction. And so, but the judge felt that there were such extraordinary circumstances that uh, he imposed that upon the attorneys who brought this on behalf of candidates Lake and Fincham. I want to ask you both. I know, and this this gets to some of the horrible byproducts of all of this. I know Super... uh, uh, Supervisor Gates and his family had to leave home. They were under police protection. Did did that apply to either of you as well? Yes. Um, so it, it did in this recent, most recent context. And it's, it, I mean, that can't be the answer. No matter what the question is, no matter well, what the just, fault is. It just it says how horrible this is. And, and we're we seeing this, you know, a magistrate judge granted a procedurally proper warrant in Florida. He was... He had to move. He death threats galore. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch, uh, I believe, wrote the or was it Kavanaugh who wrote the opinion in the abortion case, you know, had people trying to kill him. And uh, look, you might have disagreements, you might have uh, frustrations, but that can't be the answer. Let me ask you not just about yourselves, but uh, you, Stephen, you had a lot of workers that were threatened. Did How many people quit as a result of being threatened? I'm talking about relatively low-paid election workers. Well, during the August primary, I had two employees who uh, were in tears and just said that they were temporary employees who came on and they said they weren't terribly political people, that they had just picked it up because it was some seasonal work that they wanted. And they, when they people were photographing them on their way in and getting in their face, they said, you know, this, this is not what I signed up for. I'm not even on social media. And so that breaks my heart because this is somebody who's contributing to the system and is being part of the Arizona economy and is getting some work done that we need. And so that's very frustrating. And, and, and I wish just people could understand that the people who are inside this building are just 
are cross-section of Arizona, just like you. And in fact, at least one one of the times when they were protesting outside of our facility was when the hand count audit was going on. And I really wanted to say to them, you realize half the people in there are probably cheering for the same candidates that you were cheering for. And so it's disappointing. It's really a terrible place that we've found ourselves in where there are some folks who will commit acts of terror. Terrorism is defined as a threat uh, or intimidation against a civilian to achieve a political end. These are acts of terror. And when you have civilian elected officials, when you have their appointees, when you have their employees, when you have temporary employees who are worried about their livelihoods and their lives and their families' safety because of a political question, we've devolved in this nation into a very ugly place when that's part of the discussion. It's terribly disappointing, but it's also terrifying for some people. So have we lost folks in the election administration arena? Yes. I hope that folks start to realize this is domestic terrorism. It fits the definition perfectly. And we will not countenance it. We will not shy away for one second from working with the appropriate state, federal, and local law enforcement agencies to make sure uh, that our folks are protected and that folks who are committing these acts are appropriately dealt with in the justice system. And I have done it in the past, and I will continue to call on federal and state officials to strengthen our laws as against this kind of activity because it's wrongheaded it's inappropriate, and it is anti-American. Yeah, and here I want to give a hat tip to the police officers and especially to Sheriff Penzone, who really pulled out all the stops to make sure that this election could go off from a security standpoint. Yes, of course. I mean, he mobilized a small army. We could have overtaken New Mexico, but just, uh, you know, uh, because – but it's a shame. But he also said, you know, I am diverting resources away from the very real – crimes that happen every single day because I have to babysit this political tomfoolery. And so, but he did it because it was a responsible thing to do and it was wonderful, but that, that that's, it's an indictment as Adrian said of we'll, where we we'll have We'll be come back in a concluding section. Is there possible remedies or is there any, indeed anything to remedy and return in a moment? The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back for a final segment with Stephen Richard and Adrian Fontes. I want to talk about, uh, is there anything here to remedy? Uh, our count takes a while to count. We're one of the longer processes. It's pretty much been that way for the last 30 years since we opened up uh, uh, early voting. Uh, Arizona provides more choices to voters about how and when to vote than just about anybody. I think most people would agree that that's a good thing. Now, there's a ruckus always, after, particularly the last couple of election cycles, when elections were close. Oh, my God, it's taking too long. I want to analogize this to polling that we've done on other subjects that similar. Yes, people, you know, would you rather have taxes higher or lower? They always say, I want lower taxes. And then you run through a long litany of, would you want more or yes. less of the same spent <laughs> yes, on yes, education, yes. transportation? And about 90% of the things they want more money spent on than less, but they want lower taxes. So the analogy I'm drawing here is, we'd like our vote counted, but I, I've yet to see somebody address that in terms of, are you willing to, in order to get that, 
to restrict the choices that people have about voting, I'm not sure that you would come out with the same. And uh, I do want to specifically, Stephen, because you had a specific proposal here. You want, if you want to describe what that is, then, then we'll so I'm very bullish bit. on yeah. this, and we might disagree a little bit here, but I think that enough people have clamored for a higher percentage of results available within the last the first 24 hours that it is incumbent upon us to at least explore the options. Right now, people. Want, have their cake and they want to eat it too. And that puts election administrators in a hugely uncomfortable position. And I will tell you that the threats, the extreme emails, the protests all happen in the days after the election because there is this angst. Then there's these insults that we should be doing it differently. And really, it's just a product of the fact that in this last election, we had 290,000 early ballots dropped off on election day. We have to go by law through the same processes that we go through through all for all early ballots. So what I am proposing is to simply do what other many other states do, including Florida, which is just say, get your early ballot back to us early. Get it back to us 5 p.m. on Saturday before Election Day Tuesday. Then we can have those available on Tuesday night. I want to I want to ask you to conjure up and think of the situation. There's that 290,000 people. Some of them will get the message that it's been cut off and some of them will show up with their ballots on Tuesday. And uh, I I want to ask you to consider the furor that you are going to personally deal with. Well, before before we get to that, let's let's just be super, super clear about the context here. Nobody cared about how long it took Andy Biggs's race to get called or Ruben Gallego's race to get called. Their margins this year, their margins were so broad that the timing of the count didn't matter and nobody cared. So let's just in context. Close elections. Same ballots, same exact ballots, but a closer result. And the reason I think that it's really important to talk about very briefly is that every single one of those late ballots that comes in on election day, the late earlies, we call them, the drop-offs, they go through the same very rigorous, very careful, very intentional process of vetting. And that's why it takes so long. Yeah, and that's that's why he's saying cut that earlier. I'm I'm suggesting well, and, and I, I got 290,000 potentially really and can, pissed and, off and people. I can throw, and I can throw this out there. A lot of the folks that crowed the loudest are the ones who told people to vote the latest. Yes. Let's not forget that, because if folks were really cheerleading for early ballots to come in early, and all political sides were in on this, voters are going to listen to their leaders, and they will turn them in early. So um, I, I can't wait to hear what else Stephen has to say about how we're going to fix this. Just, yeah, no, I, I, we're down to two minutes, by the way. I, so. I, 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 I just think that's the most straightforward solution, and yes, there would be some people, uh, but if this is... We, we just keep doing the same thing, and I've heard it now for multiple cycles that, you know, it takes too long. And I say, okay, but then you have to change the laws. Or change people, as, as Adrian is saying, or, or change, change people's behavior. behavior. Which we can do. We have done it in the past. Let me give you a quick example. Back in 2017, we got together with the Clean Elections Commission, Secretary of State Reagan at the time, all the county recorders, everybody got together, and we had a same statewide day to mail back your ballots. We used to have the mail flow different for all of the different counties because of where the ballots are processed. Some go through mailbox, some go through Albuquerque, some go through Blythe. But when we set out that solid message, we got our voters to change their behavior because we were unified as an election administration community. The candidates were saying the same thing. The parties were saying the same thing. We led. 
And I think we can do it again. And I right. think, Stephen, if we talked about that, uh, we might have some success. By the way, Stephen, I, I, I want to commend one aspect of your proposal, which is to add a second day of voting and ask that you consider, however, that uh, that be a Saturday or a Sunday. We've, we, we have a problem in this country with Tuesday voting anyway. Most other countries do it on the weekend when more people aren't working. If you can add another day, that's a wonderful thing. I will let, take it be, let it be advisement. a weekend. All right. I will take that and under that, that will solve, I Amen. think, what, what has been a historical problem for people who don't have the flexibility in their job to vote on Election Day. If you can add a day. Souls to the polls, man. Let's do it on Sunday. <laughs> I simply want to point out that we cannot continue to have our cake and eat it. Yeah. Oh, too. yeah. And, and I, I want to suggest if it takes us two weeks to get it right, I, I'm not screaming. Uh, I would love to see it earlier. I will give you simply the perspective of an elections official is that that messaging does not yeah, you're mollify he- these You're hearing crowds. people scream at you, we want the results earlier. Consider what you're going to do when you turn 100,000 people away at the polls on election day. Well, We're would, out of time. They would still be able to vote. <laughs> yeah. They would just have to vote like normal in-person okay. voters. Okay. Stephen Richer and uh, Adrian Fontes, thank you both. Wonderful, wonderful discussion. I think informative. See you next week. Glad to be here. In the thank Think you. Tank, when we will talk about the future of the Republican Party.